0: Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford.
1: Welcome to episode number 120 of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is Rory Buck, who is a, um, an ex-competitive swimmer turned coach, so similar to to me. So, Rory, thanks for joining me on the podcast.
0: No problem, Benson. Thanks for having me.
1: I uh, You sent me an email a couple of months ago just uh, replying to um, a, a newsletter that I sent out through um, through effortless swimming and then we kind of just got chatting and I thought you'd be a, a really good guest to have on the podcast just to discuss um, some of the things that I come across with with my coaching and what I've seen um, through my competitive background in swimming and, and we're kind of very similar in that in terms of um, coming from a competitive background to now coaching working with a lot of triathletes and open water swimmers and uh, and I think kind of having to learn The other side of swimming which is to really fully understand it and understand the technique and and how to teach it rather than just being able to to do it so what um for the for the listeners can you give them a little bit of background on um what you achieved with your competitive swimming background because it's quite uh it's pretty outstanding what you what you did achieve
0: oh i appreciate that that little intro there yeah um I, uh, similar to you, came from a competitive swimming background. I only learned to swim, or not learned to swim, but I only started training competitively at a very late age. I was uh, 16 when I picked up uh, the sport and went into a squad. Um, I could swim prior to that, um, but but it was quite late on the scene of uh, sort of training. Um, and so constantly felt like I was having to catch up. Uh, with the guys that I was racing against that had picked up the sport when they were when they were four or five and kind of gone through the age group ranks um, so through through starting late I sort of had to f- force myself to become a student of the water and, and learn how to how to shortcut processes uh, in order to get competitive uh, so picked it up training at 16 um, I managed to um, Qualify for Malawi, which is where I was, uh, where I was going to school growing up. in a Little small country in the middle of Africa. I managed to qualify for the Commonwealth Games in 2002 for them, uh, which opened my eyes to um, to the big to the big guys, uh, the, the the big world of competitive swimming. I watched Ian Thorpe break the 400 freestyle record in in Manchester in 2002, and it was just an incredible experience for me as a as a youngster. Um, but it, it gave me an, an itch that needed to be scratched. And that was that I did actually want to get very competitive in the sport. So I spent a number of years, uh, dedicating myself to the craft, um, and found that coaching was a way of educating myself, uh, even more about the sport. You know, they say, um, if you want to, if you want to really understand something, start teaching it. Uh, so I started coaching, um, very shortly after, the Commonwealth Games, um, and, and learned through that process, uh, got more and more competitive. Uh, I swam for South Africa, which is the country that I hold a passport for, um, at the world university games, um, in 2011, and then just missed out on, uh, the qualification for, uh, 2012 Olympics. Um, and then hung up my suit, uh, competitively after that and went into, full-time coaching uh but moved to working exclusively with adults um and uh, along came uh, triathlon uh with that i just enjoy working with adults a lot more i find it a lot more stimulating um working with adults and with children um and so yeah since 2012 i've been exclusively uh working with with adults and triathletes
1: and you're now based in dubai so you do a lot of uh one-on-ones and small group sessions over over there um, is there what's what's the I guess experience the the background of a lot of the athletes over in Dubai in terms of their swim ability because I'm thinking I mean in Australia we've got a big swim culture here so I mean a lot of people still didn't learn to swim as a kid I mean everyone kids these days it's it's a requirement for them to to learn th- through school um, but most people have a some sort of basic swimming background but what's it like over there
0: Oh, that's a great question. Uh, Dubai is, is a melting pot of, of nationalities and, and people from all different walks of life, uh, and there are definitely the, um, groups of people that come from more uh, swimming backgrounds than others, uh, as you point out, the Aust- Australians. Um, sort of, if you grew up around around water uh, on the coast, and the weather is and the weather is uh, somewhat. Uh, favorable than a lot of people come from They at least have a level of comfort in the water um, whereas a lot of guys like i have a lot of clients from the uk from india um those sorts of places where the weather's not all that favorable and access to to pools and access to water is is uh, far far uh it's difficult to reach um and so those guys tend to come come to me with with absolutely no experience whatsoever and I have a, I have a kind of a mixed bag of, of clients that I work with, um, those that grew up uh, not going into water at all and are starting from ground zero um, with their swimming as adults and then others that swam a little bit when they were kids and then life got in the way and now they've picked up triathlon later on as adults and they sort of have a level of comfort but can't you know don't understand technique at all um it can't sort of put anything together and then guys that are on the far end of this spectrum where where they are comfortable do have a fairly good grasp on technique but are looking to be more and more competitive um at the higher end so sort of a mixed bag across the the spectrum but there are definitely nationalities uh that are more prone to being comfortable in the water than those that aren't
1: yeah, I'm very grateful that I got to learn to to swim at a younger age. I mean, um, it, it's pretty incredible that you picked up competitive mm-hmm. swimming at 15, 16 and uh, were able to get to to where you did. I mean, it's um, it's a real testament to that you don't you don't necessarily need to learn to swim at four or five years of age to to really do well. It's um, you know a lot of the research is saying that you're, you're better off doing a, a mix of sports or multiple sports through your, your sort of early teenage years and childhood and then starting to specialize after that and I think right that's you know that's a real testament to sort of what um what you've been able to to do just you know from a um, coordination perspective and um doing some land-based sports and uh you know ball sports and just really mixing up I think it's it's really important for young kids to to have that uh, to have that experience because it can help them later on. And, uh, you know, a friend of mine um, who's a coach, Wayne Goldsmith, he says that there's no champion 10 year olds, there's no, there's no elite 10 year olds. And, um, you yeah, know, it doesn't matter how someone swims at that very early age. To me, success in sport, in any sport, is do you want to continue doing that later on in life? You know, I think um, so many kids just get worn out from, um, from training too hard too early and uh right yeah what was it like for you getting into it at such a late age
0: I think it was a huge advantage to be honest with you and it's, it's to be quite frank it's one of the reasons why I I made a switch in 2012 to working with adults exclusively it wasn't the kids that I had a hard time working with it was parents that I had a hard time working with because <laughs> yeah. Because there was so much emphasis on trying to push times at such a young age, and I, I agree one hundred percent with what Wayne Gold, Goldsmith said about. I mean, Phelps is probably the only phenomenon uh, that has gone from being ten year old to going all the way through. But I, there's very few others. Everybody else gets burnt out. And I think one of the benefits that I had starting so late is it was just it was almost a a, a, a case of attrition um, that I kept going and everybody that I was swimming against started retiring. Um, you know, I started at 15, 16 and there was a drop off at 18 of a whole bunch of guys that stopped that I was swimming against. And then there was another drop off at 20, 21. Uh, and so if you just keep going long enough, everybody else starts, yes, you get faster, but everybody else starts to fall away. Um, I think that, I think that there's so much pressure put on kids, Um, And especially in a sport like swimming where you, you know, if you are competitive, guys are starting to do daily doubles from the age of 13, 12. Um, It's just such a big time investment that as a teenager, you lose out on so many other opportunities. Um, And it starts to, the resentment starts to build up if there isn't major return on investment. Um, and I think that return on investment for girls tends to come a little bit earlier um, because girls sort of peak in the water a little bit earlier. But that investment for guys, it only sort of comes as you reach your physical maturity, and that doesn't happen until you get to 18, 19, 20. Um, and so if you burn out in the sport at 16, you know, you've, uh, you've lost the opportunity to see actually how good you can be. So I think I had a, a major advantage starting at 16, um, like you said, I had a, a, I was fortunate enough that I'd played rugby, I'd played cricket, I'd played soccer. Um, so, and I, I'd, I'd, I'd done a little bit of running. So I had a general physical preparedness. Um, and then because I'd grown up, uh, around the ocean, I had a level of comfort with the water. Um, and those two things combined with a load of hours spent, uh, training and, and studying the sports set me up for, for success as I got older. And I started at 15 and finished when I was 25, which is still a 10 year block uh, of work, um, but done at, a, done at a, a later stage than sort of 10 to 20, 15 to 25, a very different time timeframe um, from a, a, a physical maturity perspective. And I think that that did me a huge favor.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's um, it's interesting, isn't it? You you can look at it from uh, someone who starts at say six, goes through till sixteen, then fifteen to twenty five, and the person who's going to have the most um, success defined as what you what your results are, what you achieve in the sport, is going to uh, nearly always going to go to the person who's gone from fifteen to twenty five, uh, which is which right. is quite interesting. And uh, and one of the things that we sort of were just speak or chatting with over email, and we were wanting to discuss was. The amount of effort that goes in that goes into uh, swimming effortlessly uh so it's uh, it's it's one of those things that uh it, and it, when i first started coaching i like this is i was I, I think i was 19 at the time 18 or 19 i started coaching at melbourne university i was there for about a year just coaching twice a week there was a, an adult squad and so i was, I was fresh into it had really not much idea with what i was doing in terms of coaching but um, I just couldn't couldn't get why the swimmers there couldn't um, just change their technique straight away, and why they were having to work so hard to um, to hit the times that they were doing. I, I didn't understand the <laughs> the amount of well the amount of effort and concentration and uh, hard work that goes into swimming fast and efficiently and, and effortlessly, and it's. Um, uh, coming, yeah, being so fresh into coaching, I just uh, took me a while. Took me a while to learn it, and now, you know, I'm. What am I about? 11, 12 years into uh, to coaching, that I feel like I've got a much better understanding of the uh, the the progress or the, the learning curve uh, that people need to go to go through to be able to to really change their swimming. And it's um, with that understanding, it's so much easier to to work with people. Um, is there any clients any any swimmers or triathletes that you've worked with over a a period of time where you've really sort of seen that happen that come to fruition where they've been maybe a little bit uh uh, awkward uncomfortable in the water and they've managed they've been able to turn that around
0: yeah absolutely i i've i've got a few clients and think uh, it's it's interesting because with with the rise in popularity of triathlon uh, triathlon is and Man specifically, it's sort of become a, a bucket list uh, item for a lot of people. So I, s- I see a lot of people come through who, who just want to complete the bucket list item of getting through an Ironman or a 70.3. Um, and so they don't always stick it out that long. Um, it's, a, it's a year process or, or a nine-month process. They kind of get them ready and then they move on. But I have had the privilege of working with a couple of athletes who have higher aspirations um, of wanting to qualify for Kona or wanting to qualify for 70.3 world champs who have understood that there is a longer process involved. And I've had the opportunity to work with them for three, four, five years and to watch them come through that sort of circle that uh, that being very awkward, being very uncomfortable in the water and starting to work through the phases of technique, the phases of the training uh, and really start to get a grasp and understanding of what's involved in moving themselves forward uh, through the water faster. Um, and it, it's, it's a fun journey to watch because it's not it's not uh, it's, it's not similar to pretty much anything else that I've I've seen. Uh, it's not the same way that somebody would move through progression of running, certainly not the way that i move through a progression of running coming from a swimming background not the same way that you move through the progression of cycling it's it's a different different uh, different process so i have uh, one lady in particular who came from an ultra running uh, uh ultra running background she she'd done marathon de salves which is a uh, one of the hardest um off-road running races in the world it's i think it's a six or seven day multi-stage race might be a little bit five, six, seven days, something like that through the Sahara desert. Um, incredibly difficult race. Uh, and she finished, she's podiumed at that and and sort of got bored of the running stuff and and wanted to come across to triathlon. And I've been working with her for four years. Uh, she started as a gosh, and we were doing maybe 400 meters in an hour, uh, total, Uh, And if I had her her doing a 200 meter swim, she would be uh, 2:30, 2:40, Uh, and she's 54 now, um, and she's just broken the two minute per 100 meter mark um, as a a, on a CSS uh, on a CSS test. So it's sort of taken her four years, and she's 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 not built like a swimmer. She's probably five foot one or five foot two, so very short. Uh, in her in her mid fifties as a female, so the raw strength is not there. Um, so it's it's been a process of sort of refining, and then and then she comes from this ultra background where it's just sort of long and slow uh, as the primary training stimulus that she's used to. So there's been so many things sort of against her um, that it's it's been fun to watch her go through that process of of uh, of. <laughs> being very uncomfortable in the water and swimming quite slowly to now being very comfortable in the water but having to try and find speed and get uncomfortable and push the boundaries of, of what she's mentally and physically willing to do uh, and used to to see the progress that she's seen
1: yeah it's uh it's really about knowing the right thing to work on at the right time and i think that's that's something i've gotten a lot better with over the last couple of years when um, working with so many different swimmers uh, through the, the clinics and the camps that, that we run, and and the online membership as well, it's um, I think what I what I've sort of seen is that if you just keep it very simple in terms of what you're focusing on in that point in time, it might be one or two or three things, getting them to become comfortable with it and competent at it, and that might take a number of weeks or months to really sort of dial that in and uh, and then moving on to the next thing and going from there because, I mean, if she's, let's say, okay, she's swimming 400 metres in an hour, there's no point worrying about um, trying to vary her pace, you know, get her to um, to be able to sprint and swim at a, an aerobic pace. There's, they're not the right things to be working on at that point in time. It's going to be just some very basic technical stuff about uh, balance and body position and, and maybe breathing, just getting her comfortable and um, if you can, kind of find the right thing to work on at that point in time then you can really um make those improvements like you like you have so what was it in the very beginning with her that you that you worked on to go with someone who's um probably really struggling in the water and and not comfortable in the slightest
0: right so i there's there's a framework that i sort of i'll work through uh with with my athletes um and I can depending on what sort of time frame we're working with, will speed up or, 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 or work through the process at different rates. But the way I see it is if you I mean triathletes and Leslie in particular who came from the ultra distance uh, running background, they're aerobically fit right So they they come with massive capacity. so why do they struggle with swimming? Well that obviously comes down to technique. Um, the reason that they can't, translate their aerobic capacity from the running or the riding into the water comes down to to missing technique so what are the three influences for me that sort of dictate your ability to to swim with good technique well the first is understanding what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong um so that's where we take video uh and uh, you do video analysis uh, i do video analysis so you work with a coach to understand to to just kind of grasp what is it that i'm doing with my body in the water because we have absolutely terrible i I, our ability to process what we're doing in the water is absolutely shocking our proprioception is is poor uh, like and until you see it on video you absolutely have most people have no idea. So oh, I thought my legs were there. I thought my head was here I thought my arms were there and now I see it on video and it's completely different so having an understanding of what you're actually doing in the water and Then some sort of idea of what you should be doing. Um so that's where we started with with uh, Leslie is is just giving her an idea of look. This is what you look like in the water. You're short and scrunchy your hips are dropped down um, your head is lifted high so just the very basic fundamentals of body position, uh, was where we started with. Um, then the second, the second piece that that goes into it, um, is body awareness or body control. Um, and there's two parts to that. One is, is your ability to, uh, put your body in the right positions. So do you have the flexibility? And I know this is something that you spoke about, uh, from time to time, I think it's, it may even be in the course that you have. Um, there's a, there's, if I'm not mistaken, you have a section on flexibility in there. Because if you you can know what you're supposed to do, but if you can't physically put your body into that position, it's it's pointless, right? So if you if you lack the flexibility through your shoulders, through your chest, you can know that you're supposed to keep your elbow at this angle, or know that you're supposed to extend in this way, but if you can't physically put yourself into that position then you're going to, you're knocking your head against a brick wall. I think that this is where the sort of variations in freestyle come from. So there is no perfect, there is no one perfect stroke for everybody because everybody's body is different. So depending on your height, your, your size, your background, your flexibility, those sorts of things, we're going to also vary how we put you into certain positions, but the fact remains that there are fundamental positions that you have to hit in order to move through the water with limited resistance and be able to maximize propulsion. So whether you are five foot tall or seven foot tall, uh, it it doesn't necessarily matter what type of body you have. There are fundamental principles to minimizing resistance and maximizing propulsion, and we tweak those based on the individual differences. So for Leslie, who's a little bit shorter and not as strong, we made adjustments to her stroke rate, um, to how she kicks little details that sort of tailor the stroke, if you will, to, to how she's, to how she's swimming. Um, so that's the second point. And then the third point is the idea of trust and confidence. Um, and sometimes we have to start with this one because again, you can know that when you take a breath and that's normally the point in the stroke that everything falls apart at, you can know that when you take a breath, because you've seen it on video, your head comes way up out of the water and you push down with one arm to help support the breath. But if you don't have the confidence in yourself and the trust to get a breath low to the water and keep your head down, you can know you're doing it wrong, but you're never going to be able to correct the problem, right? So you have to build the trust or build the confidence in your ability to take a breath low to the water, uh, in order to, in order to make that adjustment. And this is this is where the training piece starts to come in. Um, our brains have evolved for an environment very different to the water, uh, where we are land-based animals. We've spent especially when we learn to swim as adults. We've spent decades interacting with uh, with a constant supply of air. Uh, And now as a 50-year-old, I put you in the water and go, you've got to utilize your aerobic capacity that you've done a fantastic job of working with as an ultra runner. You've got to somehow utilize that aerobic capacity in an environment with limited oxygen. Um, Off you go. And it doesn't it doesn't exactly just click in a day. Um, so building that trust and building that confidence um, in your body going, I don't want to die. I've done way too much with my life at fifty to die swimming now. Um, so I'm not I'm not going to allow you to breathe uh, half an inch away from the surface of the water. I need your mouth at least six inches away from the surface of the water. So we're going to lift up way above I don't care what coach is telling you and I don't care what you think you should be doing it's not safe to breathe here and so we need to develop that confidence and that trust that even if we get a little bit of water in our mouth even if we if if we are risky with the breath that things are not going to end here and uh, we can spit the water out we can cough and we can choke and we can keep moving forward so those are sort of the processes that that we move through uh, one, identifying what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong and what we should be doing. Two, making sure that our bodies are capable of doing it, hitting the positions, working through the flexibility, the range of motion. and then three, making sure that we have the confidence uh, and the trust that we're not going to kill ourselves um, in in uh, in in hitting those positions and doing the things that we that we need to do right. Uh, to move more efficiently through the water.
1: Yeah, and you've got to be—you've really got to be in the water and, uh, on a regular basis to be able to do that too. I um, have a lot of people who sort of a- apply for our, our membership, and I one of the questions I ask them is how many times a week can you get in the water? And for the swimmers who can only get in once a week, I say to them, look, it's—it's it's not going to be enough to really get the most to get the most out of the coaching. So, yeah, you know, really, a minimum it's got to be two times a week. Um, three or more is, is ideal. And, and I know people are time pressed, and if you're doing triathlon, you you're gonna have a, you're gonna be training quite a few hours a week. So it is difficult to get to the, the pool enough uh, to to be able to do that. But it's um, to become more familiar in that sort of environment. Uh, yeah, my my rule of thumb is generally three times a week is ideal. But two you can two you can sort of uh, maintain depending on what level you're at. But Uh, it's got to be a a regular thing and um, I I'm I've swum twice now in the in the past I think it's about eight weeks now because I've got a uh, a, an eight week old uh, baby and so it's just been pretty flat out in the household at the moment but um, I I got in yesterday for well the second time in whatever it is six or seven weeks and it just it didn't feel good (laughs) it didn't feel good at all and that's with that's with Thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, laps behind me, Um, but as soon as I take much time off, I uh, I really really feel it. I've still been running, Uh, I'm still fit, but just that swim fitness is very uh, specific, and um, it's it's you can't get away without really getting in the water. There's there's not much that can compensate for it.
0: Right, I think I think there's two pieces to this, or two parts to this, and it and it depends on what level. What level you're at. So for somebody like you, uh, or or somebody like me who who come from a swimming background, um, the the feel for the water is a very legitimate uh, thing. It's very hard to sort of define. It's very hard to explain. Um, But the easiest way I think I can explain feel for the water is we we understand very well as humans how to interact with gravity and how to interact spatially uh with objects around us uh when we are standing up vertically um we've had a lot of practice with that uh, so we understand that very well feel for the water is that same concept but when you are, are horizontal and interacting with the aquatic environment so it's the ability to understand how your body balances it's the ability to find pressure uh, and to feel connection with the water that is going to allow you to increase propulsion. Um, it's yeah your ability to sort of interact with the in the aquatic environment and I think, for somebody who comes from a swimming background or for somebody who's who is at a level where their their technique has got to a point where it's fairly well locked in and even taking time away from the water is is not going to cause them to cause them to their technique as a whole to massively regress. Um, spending time outside of the water is just a matter of uh, or getting back in after you've spent time outside of the water is just a matter of reestablishing that feel for the water and that can come back if you if you touch the water again fairly easily and fairly consist, uh, quickly i think a good way to explain it uh is if if you if you or i or anybody uh, had to get into bed and not get out for a week or two weeks the first couple of steps we'd take after standing up when we did get out of bed again would feel very weird i don't know if you've ever been sick or had a surgery uh, where you've been bed bound for a period of time. But the first couple of steps that you take after that period feels very strange. It feels very weird. And I think that's exactly the same experience that you have after not swimming uh, for eight weeks is going back with that feel thing. Uh, yeah, on the good, other good side, comparison. yeah. Um, I, I had, I had, I went through surgery in 2006 and I'm actually going to go through exactly the same surgery again next month, unfortunately, um, where that happened, where I couldn't, I couldn't walk, uh, and I was in bed for about, about 10 days and the, the first steps are just very weird. Um, hmm. then the, the other side of that is for swimmers who, or for people who are new to swimming and new to the water, especially when we're talking about adults. Um, and I think this is this directly relates to the confidence and uh, the trust issue, uh, because our brains have evolved with something so different to the water. Uh, we have to constantly and consistently expose ourselves to the water in order to gain a new level of confidence and new level of trust. Um, And the best analogy I can kind of think of to explain this well is when you're learning a new skill, or if if I gave you the task of learning a presentation or learning a talk, um, the best situation or the best setup that you can put yourself into is an area, place yourself physically in a place where there's no distractions, kind of cut out all noise, cut out all, all distractions completely so that you can focus exclusively on the thing that you need to learn right Uh, that's why libraries i i I guess that's why libraries are created as quiet zones because they're supposed to be conducive to studying that's why uh you know when i sit down to work i'll put in headphones with noise cancellation so i can kind of just nothing else is distracting me um i think when you get into the water you have the same task of learning something But your mind is distracted by a thousand different things most of which threaten your survival so your brain's primary responsibility is to look after your well-being and your survival you put yourself in an environment where you can't breathe as a beginner and you say hey you need to concentrate on your kick or you need to concentrate on your catch or you need to concentrate on this position or that position your brain goes bro i don't care i need air I don't really don't care about how I'm supposed to be kicking right now. Get me to the other side. Uh, You'll get me to the next breath. Um, And when it's preoccupied by those thoughts, it becomes very difficult to focus on the technical aspects of what we're supposed to be learning uh, to improve and improve our technique. And when we don't hit the water consistently uh, and we're not touching the water every two, like, like you said, two, three times a week, uh, every 36, 48 hours, uh, our brains forget that it's okay to be in that environment. They don't get comfortable with being in the aquatic environment. They forget about what it's like. And so each time you go back in again, after a week out of the water, you have to go through this reacclimatizing to the water. You have to go through the process of your brain, not seeing it as so much of a threat anymore. Uh, you have to go renormalize it um, in order to then be able to focus on its technique. So it's it's like it, it's like you you, you for, sort of forget you forget what you're supposed to be doing technique-wise, but you're also more preoccupied with your own survival and just getting in that next breath. That it becomes very difficult to to build on what you learned last time. Whereas if you are in the water consistently every forty-eight hours or or, or so. Your brain is it gets the level of normal uh, kind of gets set, and so your brain spends less time preoccupied by survival and can allocate more resources to learning the technical aspects of the stroke that you're supposed to be focusing on.
1: Yeah, it's it's like public speaking, where the the first time that you do it, or the first couple of times that you do it, it is it almost feels like a matter of survival. It's just like a, the, the you know the nerves hit, everyone's <laughs> looking at me. Um, I'm trying to think about what I'm saying, how do I, how do I look, am I right. you know, stumbling over my words and then and actually was a good comparison is this, the, first, um, the first couple podcasts that I did, this was, oh look, I think it was probably 2012, 2013 and uh, I just, I couldn't, you couldn't pay me enough money to go back and listen to those initial podcasts <laughs> that I recorded because they were just, yeah, I, I haven't listened to them again but I know that they were, so, they were just so, so bad um that there's just no um I was just yeah you know, just nervous about everything and um but now it's just like it's easy you know it, it just it's happens it's a conversation right. yeah but before it was I was I was an in, I was interviewing people there was no sort of uh conversation at all I wouldn't chip in with anything it was just um <laughs> it was almost like you could have just um I could have been a journalist and write in an article for a newspaper and I could have, I was just put in right. questions to people and, and they answer but there's no back and forth where it's um yeah it's it's like it's like any skill where you really just um the, the the first time that you do it or first couple of times you are not going to be able to get into any sort of uh, uh flow you're not going to be able to relax with it at, at all so um it's yeah it, it it really takes a while to get to that uh that the sort of competence to be able to um to to relax while you're you're doing it but particularly for swimming you know if you're in that um sort of flight mode and uh and you're not able to to just relax it makes anything else so so much uh well almost impossible to do if, if you're in, in panic learn, mode yeah and yeah, uh, I,
0: mean, yeah. I, I think the, the the breathing thing in particular is 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 the biggest hurdle and i think yeah. one of the one of the tools that i utilize quite a lot early on is a snorkel just because it takes that it takes that need to breathe out of the equation. If we can learn to breathe through the snorkel, it, it, it quietens down because we've got continuous access to the air. It quietens down that, that flight mode, as you call it. Um, I like that. Uh, the, the, it sort of shuts that voice down and allows us to focus on elements of the stroke that we need to be to be working on. Um, but yeah, you're, you're spot on, on on relating it to public speaking. It's it's exactly the same. and I think... It's my it's my number one message that I push through to to, to people, uh, both on my sites and my writing, and uh, and with the clients that I work on work with one on one is that this is just a skill. Um, it's a difficult skill to learn, but it's just a skill in the same way that public speaking is a skill. In the same way that that anything is a, is a skill, it can be mastered, um, and and there are certain genetic predispositions that you can have that can make you better at it. Um, But uh, to be completely brutal and and honest, the level of swimming in triathlon is not particularly high if you compare it to to uh, to actual specialist swimmers, and I, I see no reason why any triathlete cannot swim at a uh, sort of fifty percent of the of the pack and or, or upper upper half of the pack um, in any race because. As if they focus their attention uh, and focus their their efforts on on the right things at the right time, it's it's not a mythical uh, thing that's only bestowed upon certain people. This is it's a skill. Uh, the more you practice it, the better you'll get at it. And and particularly in triathlon, you don't have to get to an elite level to be competitive. Um, so you know, anyone can master it.
1: Yeah, I, I'd agree with that too. And particularly if you've got if you can also have good open water swimming skills uh, alongside that that can also overcome shortcomings in your in your stroke too so um just just being even just being uh, half decent at, at drafting swimming straight you can uh, boy you can save some time with that i mean i um i did a race when was i think it was april um it was a as a team it was a half ironman event here in melbourne and it so it was a 1.9 kilometre swim. Um, oh, I think I swam about an extra 90 or so metres, and um, the I kind of had to go around people because we were the last pack. So there was probably uh, oh, there was a couple of hundred swimmers in in before me. So I, I kept a pretty good line, um, except for having to go around some people. And then I had a look just on on Strava of some of the different files of the people that I followed there, and there were there was people who were doing 2100, 2200 metres, and if you're swimming two minutes per hundred. That's, that's four, five, six minutes that you've added six on top minutes, of your swim. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. For no extra effort whatsoever, you could be swimming six minutes quicker just by being able to sight well and swim straight and, um, and follow the right line. And that's just one of the skills that you've got in open water. So there's, um, there's a lot of opportunity available there for, for swimmers where they can swim faster without um, just working on their, their technique. And that's what I love about open water swimming too I um I hated it when I was, I think I was 15 or 16 when I first did it. Um, I got beaten by a friend of mine who had always beaten the pool, but he beat me in the open water because I uh, I just, I didn't pace it right. I went out too hard. I didn't know how to sight, draft, anything like that. And he beat me and uh, I think I did that swim one more time and then I didn't swim again open water until I was 19 or 20, I think it was. And um, and now it's just, I, I really love it because of the strategy involved and um, it's not just you in the lane swimming up and down. There's so many different factors that are involved and it's a, it's a lot of fun, especially if you love a little bit of sort of crash and bash and, um, uh, and being able to, um, to sort of strategize in, in the races. It's, yeah, I just, I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you I- my personal uh, feelings on it is slightly different. I'm, I'm, I don't particularly enjoy uh, open water. It's, it's part of the deal of triathlon. Uh, it's one of <laughs> the, the skill, one of the skills that I've had to learn to master and learn to get better at. Um, uh, it's, but it's not a controlled environment. And as an A type personality, I much prefer the controlled environment. But, uh, but that, I mean, it's, it's something that you accept as part of the sport. Um, but I think, yeah, it, you have to. The confidence piece comes in again here. Like you said, if you enjoy the sort of crash and bash, uh, the washing machine effect, if your brain is preoccupied by survival, you cannot execute a race strategy, don't matter how good that strategy might be. You know, you, you may have the perfect takeout speed. You may have your ability to dial it into your to your actual race pace after a good short uh, sort of burst. You may have the ability to take the gap. You may have all the skills and fitness that you need um but if you're not confident in the open water and you're not confident in having people all around you those those skills that strategy all goes out the window and your brain goes just get me through this just get me through this um, so yeah mean, 100 with with that and i think sighting, in particular uh, as you pointed out it, it may not sound like a, a lot of extra distance to go I I went to extra 100 meters or an extra 200 meters but like you say if you're swimming at two minutes per 100 that's, that's a four minutes uh, that's a four minutes uh, difference. And, and if, you, if you're a good runner that's that's like running 22 Ks uh, at the end which <laughs> no one's mm-hmm. gonna want to do an extra K at the end at the end of their race. So it, you know it, it does uh, it, it does make it does make a massive difference in that but just learning to sight efficiently. And it's something that we work on. I work on with my guys in the pool uh, ad nauseum is just learning how to sight without having a major impact to body position, to body line, uh, without increasing effort, um, and seeing how quickly, you know, how close we can get doing hundreds. um, If we're doing hundreds, Uh, for example, let's do hundreds without sighting, and then let's throw in the sighting stroke on the odd lengths. Uh, sighting four, five, six times, and you know what's the difference in our pace between the two? How much slower are we with the sighting strokes? Can we get them to a point where we're just as efficient uh, sighting as we are not sighting? Um, so that when we get out into the open water, if we need to sight every four strokes, every six strokes, it's not having a major impact on how fast we're swimming, um, because I'd rather have you sight every four and swim 1,900 meters, than sight every 12 or 13 uh swim faster but have to go 21 or 2200 because you're not um because you're not holding a good line
1: that's good i'm gonna to have to borrow that one from you i like that as a way to just sort of compare if, if you can sight without uh, changing your rhythm and your and timing your body position uh, it's a good way to to track it and and i would say that look, i think most you know most people were sort of 80% of the people that I come across aren't citing correctly and it's uh, just from my own experience I know that it's something like you, mean, you, know, you mentioned sighting to people and they go yeah yeah like yeah I cite. it's and, and they just go <laughs> it's like well it's like yeah I, I pull through the water it's just like yeah that like I, I do that <laughs> um, but most people aren't I don't think are, are doing it in the the most you know effective way possible because because you might see the same thing where They'll, they'll breathe and then sight. So, they'll turn their head to the side and then lift their head up and look forwards right. and then sight that way. And, I mean, it's, it can work for some people. I've seen some swimmers, very good swimmers who do use it, but, um, you know, nearly everyone else is it's, it's sight and breathe. It's just to be able to kind of look up, crocodile eyes, turn their head to the side on the next stroke and, um, and that's a way where your body position is not impacted. It's very sort of uh, fluent in terms of your normal rhythm of the stroke. And you can you can sight every even every two or four strokes if you need to that way without really affecting your speed. And uh, I found it it probably takes once you sort if you if you're specialising in that if you're really focused on it, all all it takes is a a good sort of half hour spent on it to really get that dialed in and working well. But it can save you so much time in the in the open water if you're not already doing it.
0: Right, hundred percent. So I yeah. Like uh, I appreciate what you say there. Yeah, citing. Yeah, I can do that. Um, and and you sort of just go tick the box. Yep, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Uh, and then you get down into the details and take a look at it and realize how inefficient, uh, oftentimes it is. And the reason for that, for most part, is because they watched a YouTube video once and go, Yep, yeah, okay, I can copy that, and have gone off and, and just copied it, not not actually going through a process of learning how to do it efficiently. Um. So yeah, I think I I work between the sight and breathe uh, method, like you've just talked about, and I also I also um, I, I also work a lot with my guys on just just sighting, um, so straight up, straight down, and then and then sight, and then breathing uh, on the next stroke cycle. Um, it takes a little bit more oxygen, um, but the but the body line tends to stay a lot better. I also find that uh, with a lot of my guys changing to that just straight up straight down method that they're able to lock into um, the point that they're aiming for a whole lot more effectively. So um, what I found personally uh, with the sight and breathe method is that I would lift up once uh and then when I turn my head in my mind's eye, the target would shift slightly because of the immediate movements of my head. Um if that makes sense. So I'm 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 lifting up and then I'm breathing to the left. So I'd lift up and turn to the left. Uh and as my head turns, the exact point that I'm shooting for has now shifted slightly to the left as I go for my breath. And so I'd have to repeat that two or three times to get a good idea of where exactly I'm locked into. Whereas uh, if I go sight and sight, uh, so I'll just lift up crocodile eyes and then straight back down uh, and then turn the head. Uh, I Because I'm going straight up and straight down, in my mind's eye, I have much better idea of, of the direction that I'm going into. It doesn't get distorted or distracted. I'm not distracted by the turn of the head. Um, so I'll work with the sight and breathe all uh, with that straight up straight down method. Uh, and for some people, uh, the straight up straight down tends to be more effective uh, and efficient. And for some, the sight and breathe uh, it just depends on depends on a number of variables, uh, whether you wear glasses, how good your eyes are, um, all of those sort of factors come into play on, on which one will work most effectively for you. But as long as in the same way that we have a variation of stroke rates, uh, some people have much higher stroke rates, some people much lower stroke rate, depends on your body. Um, I, th- I find that, that sighting is very similar. And as long as we, like we, like I said earlier, we sort of test swimming hundreds where we don't sight and hundreds where we do sight, as long as we're, we're managing that drop-off uh, or that margin, uh, the actual method that we use uh, can vary as long as we're adhering to the fundamental principles of of resistance and and uh, getting the sight in, which is the most important. you lift your eyes if you don't spot your target, it's an absolute waste.
1: yeah, that's that's it and you've and just sighting and then going back down, you might need it, like as you said, you might need to do that two or three times to actually see where the next boy is, um, right because there can be there can be sun in the way, there can be swimmers, there can be chop in waves. so. Um, if you can just do that do it fast go straight back down it's um, that's a, a really good way to make sure that you are swimming swimming straight and if um, it's it's very hard to really get good at those open water skills without going open water you can certainly um, you can certainly improve them and get them to a point but just to be able to race well in open water at least from my experience it's really just been a matter of Doing more and more open water swims and races and training sessions with people to to get good at them. So it it can be hard for swimmers depending on where they're they based. But um, like like any skill, the more you practice it in the actual situation and scenario, environments, yeah, yeah, in, in the yeah. in the environment, it's um it, it makes a a big big difference to um, to how well you can can do it.
0: Right. I think that, that that's spot on. You know, I I often encourage my guys to to do what you did uh, where you joined up in a relay team. If, if it doesn't fit your training program to do a full a full race, whether it's a Sprint Olympic or, or a 70.3. But if you have the opportunity to 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 go and join as a relay team and you just do the swim portion and work on that skill it gives you an opportunity to without impacting your training for for your a race or whatever you have uh coming up later in the season um it gives you the opportunity to get the experience or the exposure in by still getting the swim the swim done Uh, and then if there are any swim specific uh open water races to go and do them i'm not sure how they work in, in australia but uh, we often have sort of the festivals um, where you'll have a 400, an 800, a 1500. Uh, we don't have any 5Ks yet, but those all all three different events and they don't run them at the same time. So you could uh, go and do a 400-meter open water swim uh, race and then an hour later do the 800 and then an hour later do the 1500 um, and, and just give yourself exposure to racing in the open water um so by doing relays uh, a triath as part of a triathlon team or getting involved in um in actual open water races just giving yourself that experience of having people all around you a mass start uh learning how to how to turn learning how to sight um in in the pressure situation uh is is in- invaluable
1: yeah yeah i've got um someone who's who's just become a a member he's, he's a triathlete um, very very solid uh, biker very very solid runner and uh, he's his swim is getting there I think he's down to about oh, I think it's just under the hour for an, for an Ironman swim maybe just above it um, but he's been putting yeah. in big big Ks over the last couple of months in his swimming like I'm talking up to sort of I think he's up, yeah, up around 40 Ks for a few weeks plus wow. all the all, all the other legs as well um, and he's really, wow. you know, he's really improved his um, his, his swimming. But now I think it's it's just the technical stuff and the uh, and the racing, the open water skills that are just letting him down now. So he's got the um, he's sort of done the work that he needs in terms of getting in the pool regularly. But now he's missing those two things. And um, one of the things I'm going to suggest to him over the sort of warmer months, as that it starts to be more open water swims, is just go down and enter a few of those swims that you've got up around you because there's a ton up where he is and um and you'll learn a lot more about swimming open water when you're amongst um i guess better better quality swimmers and um right. and just you just that leg then um then you're willing sort of just doing yeah in a triathlon so it's um it's a really good way to um to do it and uh know yeah, it's like the there's in new zealand there's the epic swim which is in lake taupo so there's a two and a half a okay. 5k and a 10k swim and uh same thing they're not held all at the same time so there's people who they call it the epic epic which is they do all of those swims. all of them <laughs> yeah within <laughs> the day so it's 17 and a half k uh, not a whole lot oh. of people do it but there are people who are training for cook Strait crossing um like taupo crossing right. and, uh, yeah. and a number of things like that so it's um yeah they just make the most of um, the event being put on so they just do a lazy 17 and a half k in the day and um right
0: yeah, yeah it's, it's good it's good exposure um, I think to to sort of hop on to, to the to the client that, that's joined a membership program, um, some, and something that's a that's a pet peeve of mine. Uh, so and I see it happen so often um, with guys at that level, and 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 guys at all levels um, is is watching uh, triathletes or working with triathletes for a period of six months, nine months, a year, uh, and seeing the effort that goes into. Uh, progressing, um, and getting faster and shaving, shaving off the minutes, uh, from their swim time and then watching them get to their A race. Uh, and I, 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 uh, I pay attention because, because my focus is is swimming for triathlon. I pay attention to, to not just what happens in the swim. Um, but (laughs) I, I, here's an example. I had a lady who, who raced uh, a 70.3 South Africa in, in January uh, and this lady grinded hard. Uh, she she came from no swimming background whatsoever. This was her first seventy point three, um, and 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 she really worked hard to get down to to the time that she did uh, for about eight months, and then she took four and a half minutes in transition. And I said, to Amy, what the heck are you doing? You blow drying your hair before you got on the bike." And she, and she said, "No, it was just something that I didn't think about or didn't practice." And it's, it's, a, it's a pet peeve of mine to watch guys, you know, really grind hard for a long time because progress in the swim doesn't always come easy. Uh, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of intensity. And then to throw those four minutes that you spent the last six, seven months working for away in a slow transition is just a painful thing to, to have to sit and watch. Uh, you saved yourself a hell of a lot of time and, and effort and energy um by just swimming four and a half minutes slower and going through transition faster. Um, so it's the you know the little details of, of how we put a full race together. Um but yeah when you when you said that uh, you know this the skills that your that your that new guy that, that's joined your membership program is is coming to, to uh to work on is open water is definitely something to work on it's it's also those little details that come after that that make a big difference um mm. and how well you you attack transition is is a factor
1: yeah absolutely that had a very similar story actually i um, was running some clinics up in north queensland and uh one of the the ladies who came along she'd just done iron man cans uh the, the full distance iron man event she missed out on a kona spot by one placing and tw- it was 20 seconds and uh, wow. She and she she knows that um, well. She, she obviously was there to get faster in her swim, but she was looking at the transition times, and I think it was T one where she took something similar. She took like yeah four or five minutes. Everyone else was at least sort of a minute or two quicker, and uh, right. and she looks back at that and goes, "What what was I thinking?" <laughs> um, and and you know, and she's really wanted this uh, this Kona spot. Uh, so it's uh, yeah I mean hindsight's a, a, a wonderful thing and in the in the heat of the moment it can be hard to to be thinking of everything but um, when you look back at it and you analyze uh, you go all right next time that's not happening I'm, I'm getting out of that transition quickly and um, even in in a race that might take you nine or ten hours there's um, seconds can matter and you, you want to look at everything that you're doing and uh, and analyzing and seeing where you can get better.
0: Right, absolutely. I mean, it's all relative. All relative to the goals. Um, but there are there there are easier ways to to cut four minutes from your from your swim time in a seventy point three um, than grinding grinding out hard for nine <laughs> nine months um, yeah. if you can get those transition times uh, transition times down. Um, yeah, it, it's a again it, it, we're looking at the whole the whole big picture, right? And I think this is something that coming back to, to training and effort, uh, like we were talking about earlier, um, the, the, how you go onto the bike, how you come out of the water and go onto the bike, um, has, it dictates a lot about how your whole race sort of plays out and it goes. If, if you come out the water in a place where you feel, uh, that is where I should have come out or sort of my swim was a good swim. The mindset that you carry onto the bike is very different um, to when you come out of the water behind where you th- thought you should have been. And there's there's a lot of psychology that I, that I spent quite a lot of time thinking about and talking with my athletes on um, about kind of how you manage yourself coming out of, of, uh, of the water and, and getting onto the bike. Um, because... In the controlled environment of the pool, um, the, it's always 25 meters, always 50 meters that you're swimming. It's The water temperature is always the same. We've got the lane lines in. Uh, so the environment is very controlled, uh, and the time that you swim to uh, generally tends to reflect the effort that you've put in, the fitness level that you're at, and the technique that you're holding. That isn't always true in the open water. Um, and you can have races in the open water where, uh, everybody is slower for whatever reason, currents, uh, conditions, temperature, whatever. Um, but you aren't always aware of that in the moment, right? You only learn that after the fact, when you get out, uh, and can analyze it later. I raced 70.3 Colombo in February, uh, this year, um, and I was, I, I swam, it was an out and back course and I was holding 107 per hundreds, according to my Garmin, uh, looking after the fact. So I was holding 107s per 100 on the way out and 133s on the way back. Um, but you don't know that, I mean, you can, I could feel that there was a current on the way back, but you don't know that there's, you know, you don't know exactly what the effect is. Mm. Uh, and you come out of the water and you look at your watch and if it's not in the range of, uh, if it's not in the range of what you, you sort of had in mind, part of your plan, the way you get onto your bike, and the sort of the way you hit that first 30K on the bike or that first piece of the bike uh, can be heavily influenced by the time that you, that you came out of the water. In. Um, and I, it's a, there, there's, there's a fun psychology piece that I really enjoy working with my athletes on. Um, you can have a great plan, um, but that plan may change um, depending on what happens on race day and you, you won't actually know uh, until after the fact. So how do you deal with that mentally?
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's something that Grant Giles, who's a triathlon coach I've had on the podcast a few times, he, uh, he he was talking about something similar, just about being able to adapt in the moment and and on race days. One of the things he said was, like if you, you find your nutrition plan, but your guts isn't agreeing with you, and you're on the edge of needing to throw up because the, the gels aren't sitting well, there's no point downing another gel if it's just going to make that feeling even worse. It's okay to uh, to to adjust what you're doing, and, and you right. you want to be able to prepare for that in training. So you know, in, in a few, let's say for in a few runs. You might not take any fuel with you, and you might get to the point where you sort of where you where you bonk, where you you hit food flat. Uh, just kind of going through all those situations in training, so that you know that you've been through them once you're in in race day. And and kind of on the sort of mindset and mentality too. I yeah, people will come to clinics sometimes and they'll say, oh, "Look, I'm not a good swimmer. I'm or just I, I suck at swimming." And you know, one of the first things that I sort of want to say that is stop telling yourself that. That's the that's a very hard hurdle to get over without um, without having to go through a long period of time of just seeing that gradual improvement. So the, the best thing you can do initially is just to, to change your mindset. You, it might be, you know, I'm getting faster in my swing, just something along those lines, but what you tell yourself in your own head can really uh, impact the, your progression and how you think about the sport.
0: I think... I. I, I you got to chill up my spine because what you just said hits the nail on the head so hard. Um, I, I think anyone that's had a level of success in, in any area, uh, whether it's sports or, or, or their profession or whatever, um, if, if you've reached a pinnacle uh, or kind of broken through to a top tier, a majority of those people will tell you, uh, that there was a level of delusion involved. Um, that their ability to believe that they were better than they were or, or could be better than they are um, existed. And I, I think that that's something that I identify with. So I got the chill up my spine because I identify with so much. As a 16-year-old, to have the balls and the audacity to say, I want to be world-class or I want to make an Olympic team, um, when I started that late, uh it, there would there would be no way that I would have gone on to do to 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 reach the level that I had reached had I not had that delusional belief that it was possible. Um, and if you if you approach your swimming in a way that that I suck at swimming or I am a terrible swimmer, you you will never reach the level that you aspire to reach until you change that mindset or that thinking process. Now it doesn't have to be a process of I will be the best triathlon swimmer or the best swimmer that, that ever walked this planet. But changing that mindset of I can do this, it is just a skill, is definitely the first step that you have to take to improving it. Without that mindset change, you will just bang your head against a wall over and over and over again. And you'll re- reinforce the belief that you are not a good swimmer or that you suck at swimming. Mm. And it was actually, it was, it was, uh, I've changed it now, but that was actually the message that I sent to anybody that had, uh, that had, uh, signed up for my news. That's so the first one that that went out from my website was change the way you think, because until that happens, I can't help you. Um, uh, <laughs> I can, ba- I can aid things and kind of, uh, give you all the tips and tricks in the book that you, you want to hear. But if you continue to reinforce the message that you suck, um that this is too difficult and that you'll never get good at it it doesn't matter you could have the best program in the world you could have the best coach telling you what you're doing but if you don't believe it we're, we're going nowhere um so I think yeah you, you, nail, you nailed that one on the head right there
1: that's uh I just had Angela Nath on the podcast who's a professional triathlete and that was episode 118 and, and she um she kind of said a very similar thing. you, know, it's, you know, at the at the pointy end, at that very elite level, uh, most most of those guys are doing very similar types of training uh, and they're all yeah. very similar in terms of their their fitness and ability. Um, but you know especially when it comes to Kona, uh, you know the world Champs, that sort of thing, a lot of a lot of the time the the guys who are hitting the podium, they're the ones who the, who are the strongest mentally and have got the best, uh you know I, I sort of call it the, the the tape that your mind plays on a, a 15 minute loop they've, they've got that really working for themselves uh, because when it comes to the to the crunch you know the last last 10-15 k's of the the run at at Kona where you've probably got nothing left um uh, the the difference is physically probably very little between you and the, the person next to you but it's how you uh it's how you you think about it that will get you through to the uh to the end and um I, uh, there's there's a lot more that we can talk about Nola uh, I'd love to get you back on the podcast in the future uh, because you know we've sort of got a few things that we wrote down that we want to, to talk about and we, <laughs> we've only just touched the surface so um, um, right. well, I'll definitely get you back on the uh, on the podcast so I uh, appreciate you being a guest and um, for um, for the people listening where can they find um, find you and um, what are your sort of social media handles and so on yeah
0: um. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, uh, Brenton. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Um, you can find me at icanswimfast.com. Uh, that is my website, uh, icanswimfast.com. Talk about um, positive, which, uh, the, positive thoughts, eh? Hey? Nailed it on the head. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> where, that's exactly where that, uh, that, that, uh, that title came from. Um, so uh I've actually I've got a Fundamentals of Triathlon Swimming guide uh that's up there for free. Um and that kind of touches base on on all the fundamental uh principles of triathlon swimming. Um so that's icanswimfast.com forward slash fundamentals. Uh and I've actually been in uh hibernation and writing mode for the last two and a half months. Uh I've got a couple of other things that I'm uh, I'm about to release out on there. Uh so iCansWimfast.com is where you can find all of that. Uh, And then I am most active on Instagram, which is ICSwimFast, at ICSwimFast, and I'll post up stuff on there uh, on a weekly basis. Um, So those are the two places that you can find me. Uh, And then if you're in Dubai, uh, send me an email, uh, and it's uh, Rory at ICANSwimFast.com, and I'd be more than happy to find a spot for you uh, in a squad or in a small group.
1: Awesome, and uh, maybe the next podcast will have to be next time you're in South Africa because uh, they they don't allow Skype, unfortunately. <laughs> so um, we might need to find a workaround or just just do the long distance call thing and um, and just save up for a month and and do that. But uh, it was uh, it was Won't great to coming. have you on the, on the podcast, and um, yeah, I've enjoyed uh, talking about uh, talking about these topics. And it's um, I mean I think we've got very similar uh, backgrounds, and we're sort of going through a very similar similar time in the moment with, with coaching. Um, but I, I think there's still some, uh, well, there's there's things that, uh, you know, each coach is sort of nuanced at and they have different approaches and uh, I really enjoyed seeing what those, um, what other coaches' approaches are and um, there's always things to learn and I uh, and certainly took away a lot from today. So, Rory, I appreciate it and uh, I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks very much, Branson. Shout to you soon.